I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. And this is Two Guys on Politics, Season 2, Episode 11, March 16th, Wednesday, 2022. Uh, we're talking about uh, the continued Russian invasion of Ukraine. You know, those Russians are pretty smart. Um, you know, they keep referring to it as a special operation. Um, and I want to also point out that we also uh, have our new producer, Brian Broking, who is on with us uh, and who will join us towards the end of the segment to talk about how young people look at the topics that we're talking about. And of course, our big focus is uh, on Ukraine. So I, did you see uh, the Zelensky appearance, Vladimir Zelensky's uh, speech to the uh, House, the, the Congress and the Senate yes, in the I, House? Yes, I certainly did. What'd you and think I, of it? I was enormously impressed by whoever wrote the speech and his delivery I thought was outstanding. Uh, I compare him to uh, Franklin Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, John Kennedy, and Winston Churchill. I thought he did that great of a job. It's amazing to me that he could do that kind of speech, uh, having been under constant attack really for uh, the last uh, three weeks. My hat is really off to him for what he's doing over there, trying to save his country from those people. Yeah, and it, it's been 21 days, I heard today, 21 days you know, of violence. Uh, and I think it was a Wednesday that it actually started. And um, you know, to survive 21 days, you, know, you think of Russia, you don't think of a small country. You think of a massive military and a lot of people thought Ukraine was going to be squashed, you know, and crushed within a few days. We're into three weeks and the Russians are having trouble even controlling Kiev. They can't take control of it. And they're only really occupied maybe about less than a third of the country. Yes, that's very, very true. I, there was a three-star retired general uh, last night, I believe it was on CNN, uh, saying that uh, he's come to the conclusion that it is possible for Ukraine to win this war by wearing down the Russians. He contends that they've already had 10,000 casualties and another 1,300 wounded. And when they really push into the cities, they'll get involved in urban guerrilla warfare and all of the advantage goes to the defensive team at that particular time. And he believes that he, they can wear down uh, the Russians by doing that and get Putin to the uh, peace table uh, and wind up getting a pretty good uh, result out of any peace conference. I hope he's right. I, I haven't heard anybody else that has shared that opinion. Uh, but I suppose it is possible. And as I say, I certainly hope it is. Yeah, I, I don't know about whether I really want him to come to a peace table or not, because I view the, the, his, you know, communist regime in Russia. I don't have anything against the Russian people at all. Um, but his dictatorship is no different than the Iranian mullahs who have taken over and, you know, oppressed uh, Iran and funded violence and terrorism all over the world. Um, Russia has very similar to what they're doing, you know, by attacking, you know, uh, by with their military presence in Syria, all the things that they're doing. I personally think, and I agree with what your, the assessment, that Russia is weak. 
that I am shocked at how weak they are. And that tells, that's a signal that we shouldn't pass over lightly. This is, this could be, now I'll give you the extreme Ray Hanania and the moderate Ray Hanania. The extreme Ray Hanania. Is there a moderate Ray Hanania? <laughs> there is. Okay. There is a centrist, well, let's call it centrist Ray Hanania. I'm right in the middle. But the extreme Ray Hanania would say when he is weak, now's the time to pounce on him. And I would be more aggressive in Ukraine. I would be more aggressive in Syria. I would put him on, in the spot all over. And then I'd send in one of our uh, units, the same unit that took out Osama bin Laden, and I would send them in to take out Putin. And I think this is an opportunity for us. His people are protesting. They're on the streets every day. He's arresting thousands and thousands of you know, protesters. Um, he's under terrible pressure. And we don't really know what his parliament you know, is thinking, what his members are. I've heard a few of them, they're crazy you know, in their rhetoric, the ones that have been public. But the, but the majority, we haven't heard anything. And I wonder if they're wondering if Putin is dragging Russia down the toilet by losing this war. It, it's not just losing the war, but his image and the image of Russia would go so far down they would be in a terrible position, I think. Well, when I said the peace table, uh, it has to end with a conference of some sort. I mean, the Russians aren't just going to turn around and pull out of that country entirely, not at the present time. Uh, so there's going to have to be some kind of uh, agreement between uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians on exactly uh, how this war does end. And it's going to have to be done at a peace conference uh, I, uh, I am very happy that Biden has decided now to send some drones, some of our drones, which are supposed to really be very lethal, uh, to help uh, shoot down some of the uh, planes that the Russians are doing. And as long as I mentioned planes, I might as well get into, you know, I've come out for either a no-fly zone right. or give the uh, Ukrainians the... Uh, Polish uh, fighter planes and let them use them against the Russian Air Force. But maybe if we not, well, if we or some other members of NATO would put fighter planes in the air and say, we're not going to go over Russian territory, we're not going to fire anything into Russia, we are simply going to fight the planes that are flying over Ukraine, right. that might be added pressure on the situation. Yeah, the moderate Ray Hananier, the centrist, that is the position that I take too. I was just thinking that why not have NATO uh, enter Ukraine in those areas that the Russians don't control? Because obviously, three weeks in, I thought the whole country would be under Russian control. It's not. I think we should step this up a enough um, to put troops in there from NATO to protect those areas, not assault the Russians, but let the Russians find, you know, face the option of, do we now attack NATO and expand this embarrassing war that Russia looks like they're losing? I think long-term in the end with, I, I gotta give the Ukrainian people credit, they are tough. And if I were them, uh, if we do get to the point where they talk about a peace table, I think Zelensky should announce that he'd be happy to restore that train in Versailles in France 
and invite the Russians to come and sign a surrender the way they did uh, with Germany after World War One, because uh, I think this yeah. is, Adolf, I wouldn't Adolf go to Hitler peace either. Use the same trade after he defeated France. Yes, he did. Well, we'll take it back and we'll take it back and give it a positive spin because he did turn it into a negative when he went back in there. But um, I, I think, I don't know if Russia would want to go to a peace table. They're really getting beat. You don't go and talk peace when you're losing. You know, and you're the aggressor and you started the war, it's embarrassing for you, right? Well, right now it's premature to talk about the Russians surrendering, okay? That's I mean, true. If, they, if <laughs> they do happen to surrender, they are want to going, they are going to want to extricate themselves from Ukraine, you know, as safely as possible. So there's gonna to have to be some meeting of the minds. Perhaps it will not take place at a peace conference. But there has to be some agreement to let the Russians pull out. But as I said, we're, we're really getting ahead of ourselves over here. Well, uh, well, but I think Biden needs to be. I don't listen. I thought Biden gave a great State of the Union speech. I thought his press conferences, the very few that he's done, he hasn't really done a lot, um, have been okay. He doesn't look like a tough leader to me. And, you know, George Bush, when he was first elected, George W. Bush, um, I didn't think he was a tough leader at all. And I looked at him more of like a fraternity brother from when I was in college. I think of him as a guy who would party, drink beer and do whatever. Um, but September 11th turned him into a powerful image. I didn't agree with everything he did, like invading Iraq. I thought that was a mistake. But uh and, and I appreciate you when you were in Congress voting against that. Um, I thought that was a huge mistake, but crisis like the, this makes great leaders, just like Zelensky, right? I mean, yes. he was very impressive, but what's his experience? He, he was an entertainer, a comedian. He went into politics, very populist, um, but the war is what makes him great, that his courage and the way he's not running, he's not afraid. Ironically, he, he made a movie uh, where he was a, a corrupt right. dictator of a company, country, excuse me, ironic. Right, yeah. And listen, I, I know that they've tried to joke about him. Oh, he's a comedian. That's why we're in this. No, I think that this conflict has brought out the courage and the real strength that's in every human being, even somebody like George Bush, somebody like Zelensky. We may not like their politics but they step up to the plate. I don't think Biden has stepped up to the plate fully. He's done very well. Um, he's been tough on the sanctions. And I think they even are talking about imposing sanctions against all of the Russian political leadership, not just Putin and his inner circle. They should do that across the board. Yeah, I, Joe just does not present a strong uh, image, unfortunately, at all. I think he's a very nice guy. I think he's done a good job with this situation. I think he could have done more. A big mistake I think he's made all the way along is telling the world in Putin what we would not do. Right. I don't Absolutely. see how we gained any kind of advantage in doing that whatsoever. But it just indicates to me that he is so concerned about the Russians starting World War III that that's the way he has been talking. And I think that has been a mistake. And what makes it a, a, a deadly mistake could be 
if the Ukrainians beat Russia to the point where Russia fears that they may be in trouble, I'm not saying they will, but they've held off for 21 days and the Russians, you know, now they've expanded their bombing the civilian areas, to hospitals, to schools. Clearly the Russian military is desperate. They wanna really hurt, you know, the Ukrainian people, not just take out the military institutions and the government buildings. Now they're hurting the people. You, you, you and I agree a great deal on this. Let's bring in our young producer, Brian, and see what his position might be in regards to these uh, items that you and I have been discussing. And if he has anything to add. Yeah, let's do that because he probably thinks these two old guys are like, what the heck? You guys going to get us into a wall? Brian Broking, our producer. Brian, first of all, thank you for yes. always helping us uh, with this podcast. Our, it is a new role for you, but little by little, we're going to get you in to do a lot of different stuff. But uh, right now, uh, does our discussion, did that, does it, you think it scares young people or do you think there's some substance into some of this, the, what we're talking about? Well, I, I think it, it kind of depends on if, if you think America should be coming from a place of strength or a, a place of bartering almost. Um, and that's kind of what we've done for the past. A place of strength or what? A place of what? Or, or bartering and, and you know, try, trying to make a deal. Stuff, right. Negotiating. Yeah. Right. Making a and deal. And that's really what we've done in, in international politics for the past 60 years, right? It's It's been mostly, you know, small conflicts throughout the world, but it's mostly been negotiation. That's been where the power comes from. Well, we the power was, you know, we, we were an economic machine. And you, you could use and leverage the economic machine to then win the war over time without bloodshed. I think that's kind of what Biden is trying to do here is, you know, leverage yeah. the, the power of the U.S. and the world, which we still do have, to, you know, impose the economic sanctions and do those kind of things without, you know, getting direct combat in the country. What, what concerns me, and I know some people are going to get mad at me, but I want to remind them I did serve during the Vietnam War. I uh, active duty and I served 12 years in the Illinois Air National Guard. So I'm not uh, unpatriotic, but um, when I look back at the wars, the last big war we really had where we had a tough fight was in Vietnam. And it didn't work out for us very well. We had the Korean War uh, before that. Uh, but after that, these wars that we've had, the uh, George H.W. Bush coalition that they brought in to get Iraq out of Kuwait, we were beating up on countries that are puny, that didn't have the military might. We had the power always over that. Even in, when we invaded Iraq in uh, 2003 and uh, Afghanistan, when we responded to September 11th, these were countries that were nowhere near uh, our level of military. And now we are faced with a country where, at least perception-wise, we view Russia being on the same level with us. Um, it takes a lot of courage to go after Russia. And I think it's you know a little cheap to go after Iraq and Afghanistan and say that, wow, we really, you know, that was easy to do. Well, listen, I, since Second World War, we have never fought in a war where we used all our military strength. Just keep that in mind. We always fought these wars with one hand tied behind our back because of the politicians. Brian? 
Well, that that's true, and that's definitely you know applicable. But I think the the way you can put the full force of the American power on these countries like Russia is through economics. Just like any other kind of war, if we fought boots on the ground or if we tried to help Ukraine, we're not sending the entire U.S. military there. We're sending pieces. We're not going to overwhelm them. And it would take far too long for the U.S. and NATO to basically overwhelm them in this country at that point. Whereas instead, I think we can kind of use the economic power of, you know, Russia has the same GDP as Italy. No one thinks of Italy as a major world power. So we shouldn't think of Russia that way. The only reason people give them respect is the nuclear weapons. Right. And if you can basically disarm the nuclear weapons through economics rather than fighting, why not do it that way? Well, in other words, because of the nuclear threat from Russia, um, we still have to act with some goal of not taking them over, not defeating them, but working out a compromise with them. I, I think that's the tragedy of this whole relationship with Russia. Uh, we had the opportunity several times over the years to go in there and bring about change, and we lost it, right? I think, Bill, when uh, Yeltsin, you know, uh, took over after, uh, you know, when the wall, the Berlin uh, oh, Wall came down. Right. And- Yeltsin was all right. We had no, you know, not really any problem with him. It was a little tough talking to him sometimes because he was drunk most of the time. But he <laughs> right. did turn 80% of the Russian economy over to uh, individuals to run as capitalists. Uh, the biggest mistake he made, uh, he wanted one individual to succeed him and several members of the oligarchy managed to convince him that Putin uh, would be a better successor. So he went along with that. Now that was a tragic mistake. We never uh, really implemented democracy. We, ha- we never really built democracy in Russia, did we? Well, we were going in that direction, but right. I mean, it- that was a country that has, has never known democracy in right. its history. Right. So it takes a long time to do that. You don't do it overnight. But Brian, do you feel worried about what's going to happen? I mean, do young people, are they worried about, hey, um, we're on the brink of war? Because when you look back, when you read the history books, and I think some young people are doing it, you go, wow, World War I started when a Serbian took a gun and shot, you know, the, the uh, what was the guy's name? The, we're going uh, back to- Francis, Francis Ferdinand. Right, Francis Ferdinand. We shot, shot him and that started World War One, World War Two. Uh, we tried to appease the Germans, you know, this crazy guy, Hitler, that was racistly talking and anti-Semitic and he just hated everybody. He goes into Czechoslovakia and then it's like we say, don't you do that. And like to a kid that is crazy, and then he invades Poland. And the next thing we know, and we held out as Americans, we did not want to get into that war. And if, I bet if Japan never attacked us, I don't know if we would have gotten into that war. It's hard to say. But are young people worried that it's a real possibility we could end up in a big war and even maybe a slight chance that it might be a nuclear war? I think it seems highly unlikely. Um, that a a full-scale kind of war would happen. Just given the way the world is set up with the internet and technology and and the way information travels, a a lot of, you know, World War I and World War II buildup, a lot of that was based on asymmetric information throughout the whole world. It, It didn't travel as well as it does now. We today, we see 
the entire war is on Twitter right now in Ukraine. Right. You can see everything that's happening. Right. They, they've been able to build up a storyline of, you know, the Ukrainians are winning this, whether or not that's true. I mean, you know, but they're, I mean, they're at least fighting back and you can see that. Even, even in world, and as you, I think you made a good point because during World War II, if you remember at least seeing all the movies, I wasn't alive at the time, um, but my dad fought during World War II. Um, the Japanese uh, representatives here didn't even know that, they, that the Japanese had attacked. And there was a, this communication gap that existed. That certainly would not happen today. It'd be instantaneous we see Zelensky on TV in the Congress, you know, instantly speaking to us when it's convenient to him. Uh, instead of waiting for right bill when we were younger, we'd wait for the paper tomorrow morning. What happened, you know, yesterday? We don't know. We may hear a little bit on radio, but we had to oh, wait till the paper. I radio quite a bit, Ray. <laughs> no, but still, even the eight, radio. Eight board, Gabriel Heater. You remember those people, right? Uh a few of them. <laughs> now, I, I, I wasn't a big radio guy back then. I don't know. I, I was listening it? to WLS and WCFL oh, rock yeah. and roll. That yeah. was it. Yeah, I never listened to those stations. I was always concerned about my country, my world. Yeah, well, it's just, but I think Brian's point that information moves so quickly today, um, it would be hard to make a, a mistake. Uh, the way the Japanese and it's, did, it's the think. freedom of the information too, right? That and that's like you know that's the ideal of America, right? The the freedom and you know the ability to express and do different things like that. The internet provides that to the whole world, right? So we we basically can leverage that to affect outcomes without having to you know have boots on the ground military conflicts. Now, I, I'd love for us to fund a uh, internet media campaign to reach the Russian people. Because from what I understand, very few Russians really realize what's really going on. There are some that know, but they can't talk about it. They can't discuss it. I saw a Russian woman actually go on a live TV show with her sign saying, stop the war, stop the invasion of the Ukraine. They arrested her. We have no idea what's happened to her. Uh, that took a lot of courage no, I, to do no, that. I, ironically, uh, they released her yesterday and uh, told her that she's gonna come back for her trial at some point in the near future. Now, I have no idea if she'll live long enough to come back for her trial, but they did ironically release her. I assume he did that trying to show that he's really a human being and not a butcher. Or he did it because he's, his resources are so stretched that they're really concerned about what's happening in, in uh, Ukraine. How about one last uh, idea that I have then? Why don't we step up the pressure on Russia in Syria and where their military is based and they have a huge presence there and try to put pressure on them there, not just sanctions, but take them on in Syria. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? What do you guys think? I don't want to expand this war any further than it is already. I believe in fighting one war at a time. If you can persuade us to fight Syria a little bit later on, uh, you know, perhaps I will join you. I would prefer if our good friend Israel took care of Syria. Well, I, if we could get them, I'm more interested in taking care of Russia in Syria, <laughs> not so much Syria. What do you think, Brian? Bad idea? I, I think my, my idea would be, you know, I think give it 10, 15 years, I think Russia takes care of itself. 
I, I don't think we need to do anything extra at this point. I think it'll simply devolve. I think destabilizing Russia in a point we're at now is is not where we want to be. Listen, they said that 25 years, 20, let's see, Putin's been there 22 years. They said that 30, more than 30 years ago, and it hasn't happened. It would be 33 years since uh, I think the Berlin Wall came down, maybe 1989, wasn't it? I can't remember. Time flies when you're having fun. All right, anything Brian, else? You, wait a second, Brian, Go have ahead. you heard anything about what, how China is or isn't cooperating with Russia uh, since that report came out where Russia asked China for some military and economic help. I haven't seen anything about that, but I'm not onto the internet like you are. Well, I, I think the, the kind of understanding behind that is, you know, China is more than happy to tongue in cheek support Russia at this point. But to me, I, I don't see them ever involving themselves in that because that's, that's not what China's goal is. Ch China is a country that, you know, they set up very long 50, 75 year plans and they execute on them. And I don't think Russia and Ukraine is part of that plan. Well, there were, there were reports that came out over the past yeah. week that uh, China has been preparing for an invasion of Taiwan. And maybe they may not like, I, I, I think it's a situation where they really don't wanna support the Russians, but the principle that Russia used to enter Ukraine is the principle that they're going to use to enter Taiwan. So they don't want to be, you know, like against Russia when they're going to do the exact same thing at some point. Let me just say that the Chinese man, mainland, the Chinese Communist Party has making plans to invade Taiwan in 1949 when Chiang Kai-shek first shut up his headquarters there. Probably, that's probably true, but they, but maybe Brian's right. They take the long-term approach to every conflict. Do. And I, I think we should, uh, I, I personally will not buy anything from China, which means that I probably have to get rid of this MacBook Pro that I'm doing this program <laughs> on. I have to get rid of my cell phone and a lot of my computer technology, which is a shame <laughs> that it all ties back <laughs> to China. All right, yes. any final thoughts? Go ahead, Bill. Sorry. Yeah, the final thought on that would be, uh, Senator Rubio from Florida is strongly advocating that we start manufacturing all these things that we now buy from China. And that's something that I have uh, advocated for a long, long period of time. We need to become self-sufficient. Well, and listen, in a way, that's an important point in a, in a serious way. You know, the, I, the concept is buying from China is okay if China were like us and people were free and it was an even fair exchange and we respected each other, but buying from a tyrannical country like China or even Russia, that's terrible. But the idea, the goal is we all live in a happy world. Everybody's friends, yeah, they wanna make the iPhone in you know, Hong Kong, let them do it because we love the Hong Kong people. Or if they wanna make it in Beijing, let them do it in Beijing. We love the Beijing people. Um, but I don't think we're ever going to be there. I think we're always going to be in conflict with these uh, two big nations. And I think you're right. We got to pull back uh, at least to the point where we're in control. And I, I just don't want to buy Chinese junk anymore every time I go on vacation. You know, I think I'm buying something from Belize or uh, Jamaica that's made locally. And then you turn it over and it says made in China. That's very depressing. Yes, it is. All right. Anybody want to conclude anything? 
Nope. I think we're good then. All right. Listen, yeah. Brian, thank you for joining us again. As always, Brian Broking is our producer. Um, and uh, I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. And we'll let you say it. And I'm Brian Broking. Go and ahead. I'm Brian Broking. All right. <laughs> and we will be back next week on another episode of Two Guys on Politics. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it.